Hey, uh, Carmichael. Hey. Welcome to the show. How you doing, Tyler? <laughs> really good. I'm glad we could talk on the uh, on voice instead of just tweets. Uh, great yeah. to have you on here. I, I've uh, admired your work from afar for very long, and it's just oh, this is the, this is what podcasts are about: getting to actually hang out yeah. with the people that you don't know yet, but you want to get to know a little bit better. So I'm I'm really glad we could do this. It's the modern. Uh, hey, let's meet up and become friends. Yeah. I mean, it, that's the only reason I made this show is so I could I could do that. But that's that's basically my opening tagline for the show. I think I think the best way to, to start today is for anybody that isn't familiar with your work. Um, they probably actually are, even if they don't happen to like remember who you are. I mean, you've worked on some enormous YouTube projects. Now you're doing your own YouTube project, and I'd love to walk through a little bit of that history before we dive into. Well, some follow-up tech from last week episode and some filmmaking discussion. I don't know, whatever we're going to talk about after that. But first, first, you, what's your origin story? So I was born... Uh, <laughs> no, further back, before that. <laughs> further back. Uh, so there was a wall in Germany. It was knocked over. Uh, further back. Um, <laughs> dinosaurs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but so where, where where it picks up that I know is that you went to film school of some kind. I know that about you. Perfect. That's a great starting point, Tyler. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I went to film school in right after high school. I almost signed up for the Marines, but I got a phone call that I was going to start in the early uh, semester. So I went to film school instead. And I traveled from Minnesota to Fort Lauderdale, Florida, then to New York City, then upstate New York, and then drove by myself all the way to California and had more film school. All in the pursuit of like, how, how do you make a movie? Like, what are the jobs? What are the, what are the crafts and skills that it takes to make a movie? And then while I was here, uh, I eventually stumbled into meeting the Corridor guys, and I became their... I became Jake's assistant slash janitor until I said, hey, can I edit something? And From humble beginnings. <laughs> I was mopping floors. Then I uh, kind of just moved up the ranks and took control over the what used to be the Sam and Nico channel and it just evolved it it was like hey vlogs can be something interesting uh this is like the beginning of Casey Neistat's exploration into vlogs Jake had presented the idea to Nico and I and I was like I, I'm I'm down if everyone else is down and we kind of just rolled into it and I just haven't stopped filming. Well, and I try to always remember the context. I've said this a few times on the show, but add the context of when vlogs transitioned from sitting talking heads, like you're at your desk and you talk to your computer, going outside and moving the camera around was a big step that we totally forget had to be kind right. of invented. Like nobody was doing that at some period. And yeah, you guys were on board with it right there. My, I mean, my... My experience of discovering you in Corridor was, I think, like so many, was the, the first VFX artist React was like the the one where I'm like, oh, there's the like there's 
crew of people sitting on a couch. There's like a bunch of faces I start to recognize. Oh, they made all those videos I've seen and didn't know was the same group. Um, and then instantly after watching that one, I went back and watched the whole back catalog of every vlog you ever made, which is like, it's so great that you guys have that back catalog um, of, of like older work to, to look at. Cause like, yeah, we can see those first moments when you got, when you were just figuring out like what, you know, what is a vlog going to be like for us? What's that storytelling? Um, so yeah, I, 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 I did it like went back in time and experienced it all, which I recommend for anyone. The, the early vlogs were like, I still, I still see when I watch some of them, the immaturity, but also the clear nuggets that continued on with me but it was just like okay let's just make one let's try to release two this week let's try to release three how many are we making uh let's just try to go for every other day sure they're two minutes we can do that i'm down for that the editing process was yeah it's only it's only six minutes a week (laughs) yeah uh when uh, i was like okay i'll show an edit to nico and nico will be like no not good enough it needs to be tighter 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 because his theory was this content isn't necessarily going to be interesting. Um, or there's no guarantee of it being interesting. So we got to edit it as tight as possible to just make it digestible as like a streamlined insert to the brain. And he, he was like, go watch PewDiePie's content and do that. I was like, all right. He never gave me an uh, editing notes after that on the vlog. <laughs> and, but we did every other day. And early on, because I was always filming, the camera was always at arm's reach just to start rolling. Sometimes it was just rolling as it sat there. <laughs> because I, I had to arrange my desk in a way so I can see the studio in its entirety. Uh, so if something happens, I can just like, wait, What's happening? Should I film it? Should I not? I'll go back <laughs> to editing. The videos started getting longer and longer. I think once we were getting to the average of five to six minutes every other day, that's where Nick started coming in, <laughs> who now runs the, the Corridor Crew channel since I left. And uh, then we got pushed to about 10 to 20 minutes uh, every other day. It was... An incredible ride. <laughs> did it proportionally get as much harder as it sounds to do all those extra minutes? Like, did the time yeah. investment to pump it out, like, go way mm-hmm. up? It, it was... It, in retrospect, we spent the same amount of time. But we we quickly had to learn what not to spend our energy on. What saves us is, okay, our project file is a template. We just open up a pre-made project file rather than a blank canvas and have to reconnect everything because we just right. got to get in and go. Um, I want to know all, this is exactly what I want to know. Like all these little details of how you're actually able to do this. Cause seeing the volume of work you guys put out and I mean, part of it's that, you know, it's a, it's a team, like there's more than one of you doing it, but uh, you know, I know how like super hands on you were with this and how many hours you're probably sitting at the desk but I sit at my desk a lot of hours and I don't feel like I'm able to put out as much. So uh, yeah, any, any advice you can give? Yeah, the, the template of 
at the time is Adobe Premiere. Right now, Corridor and myself are transitioning to uh, Resolve. So much nicer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, less crashes. Less crashes. Uh, less. What my 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 least favorite thing that Adobe likes to do is delay the pause and play button. So I'll push pause, and I have to take out my headphones and let it just keep rolling and not distract my current creative thought. I was going to say, before we get all the way into the weeds, because I want to hear all of these details, I want to make sure you get to wrap up like kind of your story up to now, because oh, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. at the moment, you're not primarily doing Corridor. I know you're doing uh, some projects with them at the moment, but you've got your own thing going on, too, that I want to make sure anybody interested is, is going to go check out, which is Fables of Refuge. Sure. So after five years of Corridor, it's not that I, like, didn't want to work there. It's just I couldn't. I was going to sleep thinking about Corridor content and then waking up in the morning Corridor content. And I had no life outside of work. And that uh, started adding up a lot of stress and just mental health baggage. There was at a point where Corridor Gang was debating whether or not they should move to a different state. I was like, I have to jump off the wagon. I just, I need to, I need to go drown for a little bit and figure myself out. And I, I started playing Dungeons and Dragons. It was as if I was a kid again going through the Renaissance Festival doorway with my dad. Like, that's that feeling that hit me in the heart. And I it was like being a kid and playing with my fantasy toys, building castles with my dad. Like, all that hit me when I started playing D&D. And I was like, I have to make whatever this feeling is and what's creating this feeling a priority in my life. So I left Corridor, did some uh, small editing jobs, and I was not bringing in income while I was spending buttloads of money trying to start a channel fables uh, and just trying to film D and D content, which it it's simple and easy to get right, but it's not cheap <laughs> At, to the point that like I almost lost my home because I couldn't afford to stay. Um, and then I got an awesome client, Black Rifle Coffee, and my mental health got better because I got to travel and film documentary style again, but I still had that like burnt out feeling from Corridor. So I was very much uh, focused on what's the good enough philosophy for filmmaking, where I don't have to push myself unless it's a specific thing for what I'm filming. As long as I'm communicating the idea and I'm ha I'm joyfully filming, then that's worth it. Nothing else matters. Right. So um, at this point, what's your main like? What's your main business pursuit right now? Um, obviously, like you want to build fables into the biggest thing it can be. Uh, are you still doing some freelance as well? Are you still doing black rifle stuff? Uh, what else are you so doing I other got, than fables? Or is that it? So fables is kind of my thing when I'm not doing client work i have two clients on my slate uh which is corridor 
and Black Rifle. Uh, Corridor, it's really now a couple of their website content, just things that Jake and Nico and Sam thought are good, you know, it fits well with me. So I did uh, what's currently coming out, right? Yeah, the Functional Filmmaking series on their I, website. I've been watching them. Yeah, they're awesome. Are you going to do an episode? For anybody that's not following it, it's like it's just really great advice for any filmmaker. I think anybody listening to the show would appreciate all of that content because it's, it's sort of like dis- distilling down some big concepts really pretty quickly. Like the classes aren't super long, but there are all these nuggets that are helpful for me or anybody. I've found it to be great. Yeah, the first episode is like, take any camera and make it work. Um, second episode, which is Sam editing, which was a fun thing to shoot. Um, we have Clint going to talk about VFX. Ren's video, I think Ren's video dropped. I'm not oh, entirely sure. I'll, I'll check out this. His video is about how to, turn your idea into a great video editing it is probably my favorite of the bunch and then right now i'm still editing uh nick's episode which is um tell a story out of anything but then there's also the bigger project that i'm working on with corridor and it kind of ties into fables and fables of refuge which is son of a dungeon it's corridors uh, new D show Classic during uh, COVID lockdown, I've been investing in research and equipment to like push D&D content in unique and different ways. And uh, I haven't been able to test them out because, you know, you can't film anything with anyone. So being able to go shoot uh, Son of a Dungeon with the guys and test out all those tech things, the theory things, and push those ideas on a practical level was exciting. And we got like the footage is about 14 terabytes. (laughs) Each day was about each day was about two to four terabytes worth of footage. Oh my God. So how much 30 gigs of audio? How long is each, how long is each play session then? Like what are you actually going to like, how how long are they sitting in one place and you're recording multicam for? Uh, about two and a half to three hours. But yeah, I've just been very reactive. And when you sit down on tabletop content and you're essentially in a writer's room, right? Uh, and you're just filming a writer's room and everyone just has to play yes and. Okay. It's like, right. how do we, how do we, a bunch of people sit down, let's write the next Justice League movie. Okay. You're playing Superman, you're playing Wonder Woman. You're playing Batman. Uh, you're playing Alfred. All right. As the head writer, I'm going to try to keep the mom- momentum and the uh, the plot moving forward. But you guys take initiative and everything is reactive to everything that we decide. You know? Uh, yeah. you, f- you find yourself naturally going to a place that written content will never go. <laughs> Right. Yeah. You just wouldn't have come up with these ideas because you would have maybe even just shut them down internally. Like you would have just thought, oh, that's dumb. I'm not going to pursue it. But now it's like, well, I already said it out loud. So I guess this is what we're going to do. I, I, when I do the, my newer vlogs with uh, Black Rifle, 
it's still very much a th- the thing is when I'm holding the camera, right? It's it's my eye. So when I'm talking to somebody, I'll constantly just look around and stuff like that. You see kind of that aesthetic in some vloggers, but it you can also see in like the if you're subscribed to the Corridor channel, subscribe to the channel. If you're subscribed to Corridor's website, you can watch the newer vlogs that Daniel does. And he does 4K on a gimbal, looks beautiful, looks so good. But then when compared to, I'm just grabbing the camera just to capture the information that's possible. Like, I'm shooting at 720p to save hard drive space and I'll upload at 1080 because you won't be able to tell. <laughs> that's cool that's a very interesting little tidbit too because like i know a lot of people do that for 4k like we'll shoot at 1080 and then just upload to 4k but going all the way from 720 that's that's bold but i mean is also really a testament to what you know the content is what matters here much more so right than exactly the technical stuff this episode is brought to you by flipboard and hey if you're enjoying this episode i definitely recommend checking them out there will be a link in the description to a board all about the things we're talking about right here it's a way to organize anything anything you read anything you find on the internet or discover new things so when i open up flipboard it has the same feeling as reading a magazine you've got a bunch of big visual articles coming from a variety of sources about whatever it is you're into so you can see the pictures from it and quickly dive in to read more about it but it's also a good way to discover information about topics so for example i follow a photography channel and i follow cinematography and i follow apple and then i get news from all of the blogs that i already read but they're fed to me again in this like really visual magazine format so i can literally flip through it and without surfing all over the internet find info that is always relevant to me you can also follow people directly so that's what i'd encourage you to do go to flipboard.com solomon then you can follow what i'm doing i'll be posting both apple news i did a bunch of stuff from the keynote last week responses to episodes like this one right now and also whenever i post a video there's a whole feed for that so you can check out my magazines you can follow those on flipboard and again go to flipboard.com solomon and i really appreciate them sponsoring the episode there will be more info to come about flipboard in the future so yeah, check them out. I would love to be able to make vlogs like you do, and I think so many people out there would. So like, I I want to I want to get some practical questions about how you how you do things the way that you do, especially being able to tell great stories in a short format, and you're releasing them quickly, so you're on a tight schedule. Um, but they like they always have some a feeling of story structure. So you know, story isn't just that these things happen in front of you, which I think is a huge advantage that you know you you had record or has in general of having a team of entertaining people that are doing stuff uh which you know as solo youtubers we often are at a bit of a disadvantage there because it's like well we have to go do something interesting for just like sitting here reviewing tech products that's not right. as interesting to, to, <laughs> to vlog about so that's one element but it's also of course the way they construct it so um, things like the way the musical cues kick in, the way that the or the sequence of things happening. Um, so practical stuff. Like you mentioned, you start off with a Premiere template or now a uh, Resolve template. Um, I added in Final Cut. So, I mean, I, you do Final Cut template or whatever. Um, but what's inside of that? Is it like you've just got uh, title assets ready to go? Uh, do you already have like 
music cues loaded in? What is in the template? Um, so the templates evolved a bit. Um, the primary, most important thing in the template is having my tracks built. Um, so first two or three are camera or dialogue, right? I'll have a blank track underneath that's locked. Uh, so that way it just has a visual separation. And then I'll have a couple music tracks, another blank, and then a couple for sound effects. And then I'll have my buses or submixes pre-built with all the effects that I need to give a 80 to 90% finished mix when at any point I'm reviewing the footage in the timeline. So that's EQs, hard limiters, de-essers, uh, denoisers, the mastering, uh, vocal enhancements, uh, all those across the board are always ready to go. So the moment I'm tossing footage on the timeline, what I'm hearing is pretty close to done. Uh, because I noticed early on, whenever the group would get together to review footage, the first notes are the sound. It doesn't sound right. I can't hear them when they speak at this point. I can't hear this. I don't, and it's like, okay, I need you guys to put on your your goggles, your imaginary goggles, and try to work past that. But it's, This will be something else. Yeah. But the, it is a testimony to how important sound is to filmmaking, as all filmmakers on the internet will remind everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's more than half of the final product. And I'd also love to... So that's on the editing side of audio, but while we're on that topic, what do you like to do for capturing it as well so that you can be quick and responsive because I often find myself, you know, it's just, it's just little things like if I'm vlogging and I'm outside, you know, I've done both putting a wireless lav on, which is nice because you can have more distance from the camera, but I don't love the audio quality. Maybe I just need to stop worrying about that. And then if I have a shotgun mic on the camera, I have to stay close to it sounds better but i also need to worry even more about any sounds nearby which like is constantly making a shoot outdoors take an extra hour because i'm like waiting for people to stop yelling and waiting for cars to stop honking um i don't know any good tips when it comes to capturing audio well quickly right so i would have i think two tips um, one is based off what's available right now because of some advancement in the audio field. Um, my original tip would be put a shotgun mic on the camera. I used to use the, the little tiny road ones because they would power on with the camera. No fuss. They're oh, as long as the camera's running, the mic's running. Um, I would have to go get a wider lens because I want I need to be closer to the camera, but I don't just want this frame. I, I still want my medium. So I would go get uh, a 10 mil, uh, specifically a zoom if I could. So a 10 or 11 to 20 is pretty good. So that way I can choose between a close-up and a medium on an ultra-wide lens. Uh, now with like deities 
little on-camera microphone because it has uh it utilizes the stereo recording on some cameras. There's the front mic and the back mic. Um you can yeah, plug I absolutely in love that one. That's like the what what I think of as like the best vlogging mic right now, just because of that flexibility. It doesn't sound right as good as some of the bigger ones. Like for quality, sure. I still prefer to use the you know, I use the Rode Video Mic Pro Plus because that's that's the the good one I have. There's some other new ones that are also great, but that flexibility of recording both directions, like priceless. It's so great. worth it. Yeah. I, I remember we were go- uh, at Cordo. We went to VidCon once, and I literally had like this whole double XLR mic setup just to like figure this out. <laughs> um, but the Deity mic has a input, so you can hook up lobs to it, so you can have the flexibility of having that on-camera shotgun mic that just records a blast right in front of it. And if you want to get a clean, quick-talking head, just pull off the little Bluetooth mic and just get a quick, clean-talking head. And the intercutting between the two feels so good. It, It feels like you're watching a professional documentary. I totally forgot that plug is there, and I haven't been using it. And I don't know why, so I should go back to using that. Because, yeah, it's so awesome. <laughs> like, they really thought through this super affordable mic that, you know, it's that, that's the great thing. It's kind of the best choice, and it's at a sort of entry-level price. Like, it's not the most expensive mic out there, too. So It's like um, $80 I, I really, to $90 for yeah, anyone who doesn't super know. worth it. Totally. And then, I mean, also the price of the Rode Wireless Go kit is also pretty reasonable. They have a new one as well, which can have you know, yeah. two labs on it. So, yeah, you can just you can be so flexible right now. Um, we're in kind of a golden age of, of, of audio choices. This episode is also brought to you by MixKit, which if you edit videos, if you're making a vlog, you absolutely want to check MixKit out because they provide free resources for any kind of video creator. They both have videos so like stock that you can download and you just use inside your projects. They also have templates for Final Cut and Premiere and Resolve. They have sound effects, music, all the things that you definitely need to be able to tell your story just a little bit better. And it's free. Did I say it's free? I still think that's totally crazy. You can just download this stuff, put it in your project. Because if you didn't know, you can't just go download anything on the internet and use it in your creative projects. You need a license. And that is what MixKit is providing to you. So I'd recommend go to mixkit.co slash r slash Stallman or click the link in the show notes and see what they have for your next project. There's a ton of it there. It's really easy to use. Just download it. Mixkit.co slash r slash Stallman. Thanks again for supporting the show. You mentioned lens choices that like, yeah, 10 millimeters. You're usually shooting on cropped sensors, I imagine. I think from what you've said, the, the cameras that you use. Yeah, we, 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 we mostly shot APS-C. We played with some full frame, which was an experience going to a 10 mil on a full frame. It was so overkill. Yeah, I see the back um, of your head. Yeah, and I think the guys now use full-frame sensors for most of the stuff, unless they're just utilizing old cameras for multicam stuff. Um, I think their podcast, they're using like a one-inch, but that's that's deep in the weeds. <laughs> if you're going to be running around uh, doing something vlog-style, like, I mean, you're still doing black rifle stuff, if you are just like going to spend a whole day with one lens, what are you going to take with you? If I'm on APS-C, 
I would be somewhere around 10 or 11 to 20. If I was on full frame, it would be 16 to 35. Right. Yeah. That's, that's what I figured. And I mean, even slightly better now, which I don't have it, but is like on the Canon side, if you have an RF, that 15 to 35 is like the total sweet spot, you know, on a full frame, like 15 millimeters and it's stabilized and the sensors are stabilized now. I mean, yeah, there's some awesome choices out there. Yeah. I, uh, I primarily uh, shoot on the A6600. Um, my first camera was the A6400. Uh, very first camera. I got it wow. after Corridor. <laughs> <laughs> That's quite. Uh, I've been fortunate enough that my career is like, uh, yeah, yeah. It's just bar when show up to work and there's a camera waiting for me to use. It's like, oh, great. And then I was always like, I want to own a camera. I feel like that's that's a thing that I'm supposed to do. (laughs) Well, should we circle back to that? You're you're asking what what camera you can buy. Are you actually considering buying a new one in the future? Or yeah, I'm. I want to get either the Sony FX3 or the A7S3. I'm feeling the FX3 more because of the extruded extra fan because now I shoot everything at 120. If if it doesn't have to be 4K, I'm shooting 100% at 120 frames per second. That's crazy. <laughs> uh, and I, at at 1080, right? Not at, at 1080. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's insane. Because like the... that's so. D- does that not <laughs> slow down computer performance as well? Like even editing 1080, like when it's 120, that takes a lot more horsepower to to keep that playing back. So the uh, how the the Sony cameras kind of function is thankfully they give me the megabits that we're recording at, right? So at 4K 30, it's the same file size as HD 120. Um. So if I'm shooting at 4K, which my Fables and D&D stuff is all 4K 30. Uh, so that way I can shoot that and crop yeah, wide in. And, and crop in, yeah. And, yeah, and we can get emotional beats. Um, so my system has to handle that. The most important reason I yeah. shoot 4K is the exact same. It's like for just talking heads. It's more important than the B-roll. Like it's funny because like the beautiful B-roll shots kind of matters less. That can be 1080 and nobody will notice. It's like shallow depth of field that makes it less sharp anyway. It's those like everything's just sort of in focus. It's your face and you want the flexibility to go in and out. That's when resolution starts to actually matter. So, right, and it's it's a philosophy that's evolved from the vlogs. When we started the vlogs, we were shooting 24 frames per second because it's like, we're filmmakers. We have to shoot at 24 frames per second. Ah! And, and then my thought was, what's the refreshment rate on all the devices that people are watching our content? Is it 48? Is it 24? It's 60. Okay, half of 60 is 30. So that means it's going to feel smoother to the audience if I'm shooting at 30 or 60 frames per second. So we started at 30, and then eventually I pushed it to 60 frames per second because I was tired of not being able to slow down a single moment to fit a beat. Right. So I, so I pushed everything to 60 frames per second, and we just edit at 30, and we just lose those extra frames if we're not using them. 
And then obviously you compensate on your shutter if you want the right look. Um, but now I'm at 120, which <laughs> four times slow-mo is a beautiful thing uh, where everything I shoot is a potential B-roll shot. There's no like, oh, let me stop to switch to the B-roll mo uh, mode on the camera. It's I'm doing my talking head and they can go straight into doing something and I'm following along. And as long as it's in focus, it's a usable B-roll shot. Yeah. Yeah, that's really smart. Yeah, I've, I've thought about that too. There are times where I've shot all 60 because of that. Uh, and it's so hard for me to watch to watch the videos that I shoot like that and not feel like, oh, I really wish this was 24. <laughs> because like it's on a practical basis, it's just so worth it practically. It is so much faster for sure. And you and more flexible, right? Because now, yeah, you don't have to reshoot it in slow motion. It's like, okay, I think we captured that, but can we recreate that motion, moment in slow motion? Like that is not ideal for a, a responsive vlogging style, uh, you know, running gun uh, shooting style. But, uh, but what I've, where what I I've learned is when shooting that high frame rate it's because i'm s what i've noticed from my clients is because of how quick and reactive i can be because i've had i've made it so with my tools it's not a hassle to say oh let's try that one more time because i messed up can we do that one more right <laughs> uh, other things i was wondering about oh, I, I i so i was i like was watching, I was just like watching some vlogs ahead and I'm like, oh yeah, okay, here, what, what could I ask him that would make me better? So one thing I noticed is like musical cues. Like you, it took me a while of watching the corridor vlogs to notice that, oh wait, the thing happening with musical cues is similar to either either documentaries or actually even more so reality TV. Like the orchestral string buildup to a suspense moment. If you watch any reality TV, that's happening every like three minutes there's like a boom and that like you know whenever it's like what's about to happen and you guys you know use that quite a bit or or come back to the same like uh you know dramatic or sad music and like that that sort of um having a, a lot more small music moments than i think most editors expect is really impactful like it it guides the viewer so much more than uh just putting a bed track of generic electronic uh lounge music which is like the bane of youtube to me so many people they'll just like grab some random whatever the first suggestion on epi epidemic sound is <laughs> drop it into underneath the whole thing and it just plays for five minutes and maybe or ten minutes it loops three times it's like the music's making it worse in that situation. It's actually damaging the, yeah. the content. Um, I don't know. It's, so, like, how both how do you think about it, but also how do you stay organized to be able to have that much music, that density, and do that quickly? It's this is my thinking face. Okay, so one we have the head bopping music in a library as well, right? The chill hop music, um, which I, which is completely Nick's massive contribution to the vlog is he would constantly come in the morning eating his breakfast burrito and he would just play on the speaker chill hop. And we would just all just, yeah, this is a good day. <laughs> and eventually it was like, we should toss this in. Because <laughs> it just feels good to hear. 
Um, and we just, we, thankfully back then we had, there wasn't so much of a copyright thing and we just kind of, we looked to the actions of other YouTubers that were doing it with out consequences. Yeah. We're like, Casey. what are their sources? Yeah. Casey, what are their sources? Oh, they go to SoundCloud. Oh, they go to an independent artist. Got it. So we'll just find an independent artist, ask, or use, and if we get in trouble, we ask. <laughs> um, and then it was jokes. Uh, a good one is every time uh, Carmichael dies on the vlog, we would play uh, The Sound of Silence. Yeah. Yeah, how did that uh, turn out? Did did you ever get in trouble for it? I always wondered what the Oh yeah, all those videos are demonetized. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's the trade-off. Uh, which but, Casey Casey had talked about that his choice to do that on his, which I had thought about that. I'm like that's a really interesting argument that it's like he just feels or his what he says about it is that it's more it's so much more impactful to have the right music that it's like okay, whatever, just let them let the money go to make the content better. Mm-hmm. Um which is it, one strategy, but and David Dobrik does that with his intro music. Yes, I mean, this is what I've heard. Everything is demonetized because that's a, a who sample, I think, and it's like five seconds of music, and he gives up all the money just so he can use that song. And I think that's a bad decision. I wouldn't do that, but it's interesting. It's, it's a bad business decision. A yeah. brilliant artistic decision. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but he's doing fine. Or well, anyway, I don't know how he's doing right now. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> okay but speaking a few it, weeks ago he was doing fine it was um and it just it became like what is it started we were having a meeting at corridor and we were constantly talking about the algorithm the numbers uh the attention time like this is we have to focus on this like we have so many examples on the internet and YouTube themselves are telling us, hey, this is the content that the people are watching that they like and this is what they're not liking, right? Um, if you edit these out and just keep these, your videos will be better, essentially. And we were just so in it for a week or two. And there's no getting out of that, right? Like when the entire team went down the wrong road of conversation, it is extremely hard for the whole team to get out of it. Nico, thankfully, was the first one out. He stuck his head out the window and just shouted, (laughs) hey, remember, at the end of the day, a computer is not watching our content. There is a person on the other end who's going to watch it and feel something from the content. And when Nico said that, it was just, for me, it was just, oh, yeah. That makes way more sense. (laughs) So my editing style evolved within the next 14 days because all I cared about was the moment I click start, what am I experiencing? Am I gaining information? Am I being entertained? What is this ride? When am I ready to get off this ride? You know, that's all I cared about when I was editing to the point where now I have my shortcut keys 
Nick uploaded Instagram clips of me where I'm so tired that I just have to rest my head and just lay there. But my hands are doing in, out, paste, in, out, paste, in, out, paste. (laughs) And I'm just listening. And most of the time I edit, I don't look at my footage. Like, I'm not editing a cinematic movie where every frame and every shot is so well thought out that it needs to be given attention. I'm editing something that is going to go up and then in 48 hours I have to do another one. (laughs) Yeah. So it's like, what is the kind of turnaround is hard. What is the thing that everyone's taking from the content? What I'm hearing, like I need to be able to watch this with my ears. It, and it drew me back to just my semester in radio studies and broadcast studies. And I just edit as if I'm, if no one's going to watch and they're only going to listen. Yeah. Dance like no one's watching. Yeah. No, I think that's really smart in terms of remembering why people are watching. Like there's so many times that I don't watch the YouTube video that I'm ostensibly watching. Like it's just playing off to the side or I stick my phone in my pocket. Well, it's, and I'm listening to it. Like that happens a lot. I mean, we, I post this podcast on uh, on YouTube, and I assume most people don't actually watch it all the way through. I sure hope you don't, because nothing's happening. Um, but you know what's <laughs> actually really interesting? I was I was watching uh, the Corridor Cast podcast on YouTube, uh, where it's usually I'd listen, but I was watching uh, the one that you're on the other day, um, and noticed the ads that play through it. Like there's a Peloton ad, and it was audio only. It just showed full screen the peloton logo and then played uh, an audio advertisement it knew it was on a podcast channel and so they optimized for it which I'm like that's so smart even though they're still advertising on youtube they're aware of who is consuming this content right now um, so anyway i mean as a creator as like the person making that content you should have that same awareness like what is the purpose of this right now at some moments the purpose sometimes is to show right like if you're doing VFX artists react, like sometimes it's all about, you do have to see the thing for this to make any sense. Uh, or if I'm doing a video, a tech review, it's like right now you just have to see the product. Cause that's the whole point of this moment, but being aware that like, okay, but then for the next 30 seconds, it's actually all about the idea that's being said. Um, so yeah, yeah. Like I, I think it's really smart to kind of like separate that thought process of how you do each one. Um, but you've obviously yeah, completely it- mastered it at this point. I mean, it makes sense. It's a game of resources, right? Um, It's like playing any survival video game. It's how many resource, how much resource am I taking to fill up my bank? And how much am I spending to keep the whole thing running? So if it's more efficient just to record an audio ad for my audio podcast, even though it's a podcast, um, it, and that is a faster turnaround time for the editor because they have X other things to get done in the day. Then let's do that. Um, the person watching, like when you watch it, your your brain will go, oh, that makes sense. Right. Yeah, you'll figure it out. It's good enough. <laughs> so I, I feel like um, I still have to follow up on a few other things uh, that I was talking about in the last episode. I meant to do this earlier, but um, before we completely run out of time. Which one was the last time, one? 
So the, I had Sarah Dici on in the last uh, podcast, and we were talking about the Apple event. And I have some very di- like direct feedback for, or uh, follow up from that because uh, some of the things that were announced and released, I now have and have been able to play with Ooh. since then. Uh, most interestingly, a purple iPhone. Actually, it's not. I was, it's not the most interesting. Most interestingly, is AirTags. I mean, um, that's pretty also- interesting. Yeah, the purple's nice. I mean, you've seen purple. Uh, if you've seen the commercial, you know what it looks like. Uh, the, the purple iPhone is is purple iPhone. AirTags, though, um, I think it's more to say about it. Do you do you have any interest in AirTags? Like, is this a th- you know, it's thirty bucks. You could throw it in your camera bag. Do you feel like you need these to keep track of your keys? Sometimes I feel like I need to track my keys, but also I have a home for them. And if they're not in the home, it's okay. What would be the other two options that where they would be? And if that fails, which is extremely rare, that's where a device attached to it. But I also like having using technology to track items. I feel like my same hesitation is with my love hate with hue light bulbs is, oh, can you turn on the light in the room? Let me open my phone. Let me swipe to the app. And it's like, can I just can you just get up and turn on the light? Yeah, I, I know that feeling. Yeah, I I don't go down the path of smart home because of exactly that. I like I don't find that trade off to be worth it at all. It's it's um, so much, but I think mm-hmm. some I think it's something that you mentioned either in a video or in a post is that it makes a lot of sense for the big bags, your equipment gear. It's a peace of mind. It's insurance because like the week that I went to Guatemala, um. My camera bag was in the truck. Uh, my camera is with me at all times. So the things that I'm always having on me, I don't need a tracker. But things that I just want a peace of mind for something, especially when traveling, is a great idea. Like if I go on a vacation, a work trip, any piece of my important gear or luggage that I have to be away from, you know, having just pull up my phone and making sure it's still at the hotel is a good feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, so I That's the extent think, of my, my, my feeling towards those. I think of it in a similar way to becoming, <clears throat> becoming dependent on maps, for example, on a digital map system where you can navigate a certain amount inherently because you have a human brain. And as you lean more on technology to do that for you, you become, or I become worse at, managing it yourself you memorize street paths less you put less effort into building those internal you know navigation systems and you lean on the tech version and i i think that same effect will happen from having a digital key tracker that said i i I've already talked about this but the day before air tags were released I was late for a photo shoot because I couldn't find my keys and they weren't where I usually put them. They weren't in the tray by the door, which is where they almost always are. They weren't around the house. I looked for 20 minutes and they turned out to be in my hoodie pocket, not the pockets I was checking, but the hoodie pocket I never use. And for some reason I just threw my keys in there. I don't, why did I do that's like so. And so that's sort of one of those, like, it's hard to manage for that. Obviously what I'd done is just picked them up before, like as I was on my way out, I put them in that pocket and I had just done that moments earlier and forgotten about it. That's just me being dumb. And I just feel like it's worth never having that happen. Um, so yeah, I've got them on my keys and I've strapped them onto what worked really well was putting them on my 
SanDisk hard drive because it has like a keychain holder on it. So I strapped it around there because when you're at home, yeah, okay, you don't really lose a hard drive around the house. But when you're traveling, like I've had some nervous moments where I'm like, actually every single moment that I go to look for my drive and it's not where I last placed it, I panic for a second. Like there, my heart jumps up. Even if I find it moments later, there is a moment where I just like, you know, okay, what isn't backed up yet? What am I like, how much time am I going to lose if this isn't available? It's Um, a, so I don't have the feeling, this feeling anymore because I don't own a vehicle anymore or a car. Um, I just have an electric bike, uh, is when you go out to find your car on street parking, you kind of just misplaced it in your mind where exactly you parked and you're, you're coming out of the corner and you're like, (laughs) yeah, yeah, yeah. you have to go around the corner and there it is. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, I know. I would, I would definitely toss an air tag in a car, you know, that, that'd probably be one of the smartest places to put it. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, for me, that's what it's about is like getting rid of that heart jumping moment. And so far using it, like they really work great. I had tiles before and I mean, I, I feel bad because tile came up with this whole idea and, or I don't know if they're the first ones, but they, they did a good job. They did absolutely everything they could. And it kind of wasn't enough because they didn't have the hardware support of the biggest most popular cell phone network in America, which, you know, once it works natively with iPhones, meaning anybody with an iPhone can detect your tracker by moving past it, uh, which is, I, you know, I, I believe is really fully secure. Like uh, from everything I've read about how this works, there is no useful information at all being passed to the phones of everybody else that is, is nearby um, that actual tracker. So, um, it seems like Apple's really thought through, thought through the security of this. Um, I mean, they and... talk about the private uh, privacy a lot. Mm-hmm. They they yeah. it's a to the point that you have to believe that it's a priority of theirs. Um, which is whether it is advertisement or just which propaganda, just to whatever it is. Yeah. At the end of the day, they're also the only ones who's using that marketing. Yeah. And I mean, I Which, believe it, I, like it is marketing, but I also believe it because developers independently verify a lot of this stuff, right? They are able to see sure. what's going yeah. on in a lot of ways. And of course there could be six level, levels deeper of something else going on maybe, but a lot of the stuff is pretty visible. And often when there is an issue with any sort of software leaking information, like this stuff comes out, like people find out and Apple's been they, the building of trust takes years and they've been the most effective at building that long-term trust of like, look, there haven't been any big security breaches and, or, or especially I, 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 cause you know, part of what I'm addressing here is people like just having a general concern of not understanding what's happening. But, um, the, it, there are constantly independent developers and hackers trying to exploit all of this, looking at every line of code they can find and there doesn't seem to be many issues coming out from Apple relative to other companies. That's so it's it's earned trust. It's not just because I see the ad. It's also because they're building a track record. And as long as they continue to do that, they're going to continue to be, you know, I think the most from a privacy angle, the most trustworthy tech company out there. So, um, yeah, like my favorite thing about my iPhone is the ability to mute unknown phone calls. 
it if you if my phone does not recognize your call it mutes and just sends you off to voicemail i don't even i can go 10 days not knowing that you called that's smart (laughs) i i Um, haven't turned that on but i feel like i should literally yesterday and i tweeted about it is something was catching the corner of my eye and it was my notifications on my lock screen and i just watched 25 notifications happen in 30 minutes just from an unknown phone number right and i was just like Whoa. well yeah there was a vlog <laughs> there was a vlog about like robo calls i seem to remember that at some point but yeah i mean oh, it's yeah. like it's... it can be bad sometimes and it's like it's affecting your day it's not just annoying it's can be like i'm i'm talking to somebody about something important right now and my phone's going off that's not or if i was in the middle of this podcast and i had to keep like looking over to make sure my phone wasn't you know it's uh exactly it can be damaging to real life like yeah absolutely anyway to mitigate that i think is is worth doing um are there just little details about using the air tags do you do you have uh an m1 computer no no i don't have one that i'm using i had a review one when it came out i spent a few weeks with it but i'm still waiting for the bigger one i i I need a larger laptop since it's my full-time machine so even though i think the existing like the 13 inch and the uh, macbook air could handle most of my workflow uh, there's no reason for me to not get the biggest one since it's where it's where everything's going to happen so i feel i feel like because i'm I'm thinking about getting a uh, Mac Mini M1 um, because for Fables, I, I have an assistant editor and we've, we're just testing and hunkering down, getting ready for the return of playing D&D in person and how much footage that's going to be to edit. But he also lives in uh, UK. So transferring <laughs> uh, what is an average of two terabytes of footage <laughs> over the internet is potentially not a, a, a doable thing, but we're trying to figure out the best way to do it. And one of the ways might be, oh, I might have to have a small compact computer on my end hooked up to the drives and he parsecs in. Um, and I'm trying to think of a small computer that can handle it. And the M1 editing is just... Yeah, it's crazy. Oh, man. Um, it's exciting. Yeah. It, it, from everything I've heard, it can handle it. I mean, I know there's YouTubers out there that are doing it full-time. It depends on what your, uh, what software you're using. You know, last week, Sarah was talking about Premiere really struggling because uh, it's, it's just not there yet, and that's not a surprise. But if well, you're, I mean, I, if you're using Premier, Final Cut, it's ridiculous. If you're using Resolve, yes. it's very good. You know, Resolve is also doing a good job with it. So, uh, and especially if you're doing 1080, not 4K. I remember for the longest time, a lot of reviews were like, how does Premiere stack up on this new uh, Mac computer, right? And I remember when the big 18-core iMac came out, and they were doing tests on Premiere. And I don't know if it's still a thing, but in the version of the the OS, you could see the... uh, the cores in the corner being used. And whenever the reviews were doing premiere, you could see only one of the cores, maybe one and a half being yeah, used, yeah. but you use any other program. It's maxing out the computer. 
Same thing with like, Lightroom a, when I was I was doing my Mac Pro review, and that's when I discovered like, oh wait, Lightroom doesn't use any of these cores at all. Like I'm trying to show like, oh here's how good it is for photographers, and oh it's using three cores out of a hundred <laughs> or whatever. I don't remember how many I had, but yeah. a lot, and it was not optimized at all, and that is Adobe's fault. Yeah, hundred percent. My 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 thought process is, um, if you have a Mac, go. Go get Final Cut. It's worth, what is it, $300? It's worth it. Um, You will edit. Editing will not be a chore for you. Uh, Switching to Resolve, I'm getting that that relaxation back. (laughs) It's just like learning a new language if you're switching over from another software. Mm -hmm. From Spanish to French, you know? It's all it is. Resolve does some really, really nice stuff with that. I'm going to be testing a few of those things with um, a new NVIDIA card coming up. And there's some really interesting, like, cool machine learning stuff going on in Resolve right now. The Final Cut's not doing. Like, I really want Final Cut to catch up because I don't want to to switch. And I like the way the timeline works in Final Cut. Like, I like that, all the metaphors that it uses. But there's just some specific features in Resolve. I'm like, man, that is so smart. Like the the facial tracking that fully, like it's mapping it in 3D. So oh, it's yeah. not a the, dumb tracker the, that just yeah. spots some points, but it can mesh over the face and you can add digital makeup with it. You can do skin corrections. Like, oh man, that stuff's so good. The new slow, so yeah, speaking of shooting in 120 frames per second, now there's new slow motion algorithms that use AI rather than just, kind of traditional dumb frame interpolation where it just looks at each frame to slow and blends them where you'll see crazy Mm -hmm. artifacting and it doesn't look realistic you know twixter was the the big twixter i was trying to remember what was it was a tw something yeah yeah and now twixter Twixter was so cool it was magic (laughs) totally but now it's built into resolve and it it really takes advantage of the more gpu power you can throw at it so this is a case where the Mac version will do a little, not not as well. Um, and it will be, yeah, basically it's rebuilding every single part of the frame with like machine learning stuff. So it looks real. Like when I saw it slowed down from like 30 to 120, it just looks normal. Like I can't see the artifacts. I'm sure they're there on, a, on the original source material. You might be able to spot it, but like it looks good. I mean, well, I hope Apple unlocks the new M1 chips uh, or the computers that use them to use external GPUs. Um, I know that's a that's a, a heartbreaking sell, thing for everyone who's yeah. invested in those, yeah, uh, yeah. especially people who use Resolve on Mac. Um, but it would it, it's just nice to have an external superpower GPU to just help with dumb stuff. I guess would be the way to say. I it. mean. If you pick up the Blackmagic external GPU, I don't actually know the status of how it's working with M1. I got to do my it doesn't homework work on that. With them. I, I deep dived. They don't do it at all. Okay, yeah. So, I mean, I was hoping they'd still at least support. Right, yeah, no, that totally makes sense. But the big question is, how is it going to work with the bigger machines? Once they eventually Apple-ize the processor in the Mac Pro, what's that going to look like? Because very unknown. I, so. I don't know the, the actual app name. Um, but Sam at Corridor <clears throat> is working with the developers and 
at the end of the day, it's only on iPhone. So it's a what we're going to be doing for Son of a Dungeon is going to be a mix of iPhone footage and cinema camera footage. But this app takes the uh, I forget the the gyro data of your phone and saves it into metadata of the video file that you're recording. And <clears throat> when you bring the footage into After Effects, that metadata is now tracking data instantly. Yeah, no, that's amazing. Uh, so I've been I've been looking into this too. I think uh, CamTrack AR is is the one. I, I think suspect. it's CamTrack. Yeah, so I've I I have it on my phone. Like I'm ready to use it, but I don't do VFX stuff like you guys do. So I'm more like I just want to see this happen, and I want to see if I could do something with it. But I, I haven't yet. But it I, looks amazing. I'm so excited to uh, to use it on our green screen footage. So mm-hmm. <clears throat> at the end of the day, like the marketing pitch for Son of a Dungeon is VFX artists play Dungeons and Dragons, right? Okay, guys, we need to like kick the door down with VFX footage that the D and D community has never seen before uh for the longest time we were just going i guess we might have to skip over this uh and peter rendered the sickest the sickest of sickest vfx footage to the point that we're like oh we can do this and it's going to be insane um and now when we're doing like a couple episodes i've been doing vfx kind of like b-roll markers um and trying to think of like what's a cool vfx shot that can happen here and because i know that the workflow is going to be streamlined with CamTrack, we just go on the green screen i can think of the most ridiculous cool cinematic camera moving shots to like capture the context of the situation and then we're just like, how do we practically shoot that on the green screen? And then we just get the iPhone and shoot it. And then if a camera isn't moving, we'll shoot it on a cinema camera because it's easier. But it's so exciting. It's just a reason why I don't deep dive in VFX as much as the rest of the corridor guys is I think it's just the mechanics of it. It's a chug uh, I like picking up the camera and filming it because it's captured. You know, I've communicated my idea so quickly. Um, it's like as fast as picking up a pencil and writing. Um, the, the fact that it's like, oh, there's no tracking. There's just shooting on the green screen. And then the background's going to be keyed out with a click of a mouse, essentially. And <laughs> then uh, linked to a VFX rendering of the battle map is insane. Yeah, no, it's like, it's transformative. And there's, there are so many things like this that are coming very quickly at us that, uh, you know, yeah. In just a few more years, what happened first was there is this ability for normal people, for kids, teenagers to learn traditional filmmaking and make movies as good as what you could before with just your cell phone. Like that's, that's the big step that has already happened. And we've been there for a little while. And that seemed like an impossible goal 10, 15 years ago. Now, the next step that we're entering into is that you can do more. You can go beyond what a traditional VFX artist 
could reasonably could feasibly do in the time constraints that they're going to have by using your phone. It means you can uh, uh, a, a teenager that has the interest and the passion can push harder and do crazier stuff with their phone than a full studio practically can. Like I say, it's like you you could do it, but nobody has much time for VFX. Same, yeah, I say the same thing. Like I don't like to get bogged down in it. I don't. Um, I don't like being sick of my project by the time I release it, which is something that can definitely happen if you're going too deep on the edit, too much into VFX. It's like, you're just like, I don't even remember why I wanted to film this in the first place. I just want to release it. Uh, and yeah, the VFX schedule is like, yeah, I can't they, even match it I don't do it. But. it. It's a hard thing on like Son of a Dungeon, the workflow, uh, Natalie and Matt are helping editing it because, you know, eight times two and a half, <laughs> hours uh we have to get through eight feature films you know um they are doing the first initial pass and then now they're going to be doing more of the second pass since i've been doing on episode one and two i've been doing kind of the second pass and kind of trying to take note of what are the things that i'm doing uh that keeps the quality standard up on the show and then passing that on as directional notes. It's like, hey guys, this is, you gotta hit these, you gotta like, make sure you're doing the J's and L cuts. Make sure you're editing dead air. The, like, if it's more than 10 frames between uh, the sound of someone's voice, cut that shit out. <laughs> um, make it aggressive because we can slow down important moments after the fact. But everything else has just got to keep going. Do you keep a lot of these notes in your head? Like, so, I mean, you know, just to imagine some things that I see is like, okay, so at the beginning of a lot of vlogs, it's like start with an establishing shot so you have a sense of place. And then everything you were just talking about, about like, you know, moving through quickly, things like, okay, here's an appropriate moment to use a musical cue. Uh, Here's a time where you could have silence and let the music take over for a certain amount of time. Do you jot that down as, as like kind of rules you follow or is it all internal? It's just th- things that feel right to you and that you remember. Uh, it depends. If it's more leaning on the mechanical end, I'm going to write it down. Um, a good a good thing that a lot of people who watch the corridor vlogs might know is inside the cameras that we use because the DSLRs had the flip out monitor. And the inside is a sticky note that's taped over frame rate iso uh aperture you know it's like make sure you're hitting this uh other than that it's creative reaction yeah should we start with an establishing shot sure do we need one no is it interesting if we kind of start like work our way into out versus out to in let's uh it's it's up to the feeling that i'm getting and kind of the how how are you how are you digesting this content like i clicked on the thumb and from that core concept do i need an establishing shot or should i just jump in following someone walking down a hall the music cues it's all about feeling like if is what this person's saying detrimental is what they're saying have high stakes to the overall uh, MacGuffin in the story, right? 
let's let's rise the tension. Like it's supposed to be important. It should feel that way. Um, when when it comes to D and D content, with that, you can easily overwhelm yourself because an episode can go from fifty minutes to three hours. And you're not going to fill it up with music and sound effects all the time. Um, and so a good, uh, like, golden rule is do your sound design on the most explosive moments. And then entering a scene. And then when you enter a new scene. Because if you think about it, if we're doing this podcast, right? as a story, a sound cue to tell us, oh, we went from one location to the next location kind of helps. Like, oh, we're starting a new scene. Right. Yeah. 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 Same as people. I I think a lot of people miss that the purpose of transitions for that reason as well, like visual transitions. If you fade to black, that means something or the audience will assume it means something. If you didn't mean something, they will think it does, which is actually, so when we do these live streams, which is how we're recording this right now, a lot of the other streaming software had a default. Oh, what, uh, what YouTube switcher. channel are we live streaming this on? <laughs> this is uh youtube.com slash Stallman. If you ever want to watch it. There you go. And it, uh, <laughs> yeah, we're using Ecamm. So when we switch, it's a cut, but using StreamYard or I don't remember the name of the other one. Uh, something they did fades as the default like instead of uh, uh instead of just like jumping to the other shot it was always a crossfade i'm like why why would you crossfade like why would that be the default assumption like that is that is suggesting something to the audience whereas a cut is invisible right it's like you don't think about right. a hard cut so i, and I starting fables it was like i don't own any of the equipment i borrowed everything you know, like I only owned the two terabyte drive that I was editing off of and I borrowed a laptop. I borrowed the cameras. I borrowed the lights and I borrowed the microphones, the recorder. And I was just like, how do we do it? Uh, at times I would test sound effects. Some, some episodes I would test transitions. Sometimes I would cut, uh, cut. I would test jump cutting. Um, and I would... The first, I would say the first 11 episodes of Fables of Refuge, you can really see me experiment episode by episode. Um, and it's like I was editing at five frames a second. That's that's how beefy the footage was with what the machine I was using. And I was like, I'm just going to make this picture in picture and figure this out because I can't do proper editing. Um, now, now I can do proper editing. So I'm excited <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> with what I can nice. come up with. That's awesome. Uh, but well, yeah, I, can't the, wait I was to... testing out fades to different yeah. camera perspectives. And it was like, my thought was, oh, it might be smoother because it's such long content. We want to just like transition smoothly. But then it just, it didn't feel aggressive enough. You know, there was no agenda to the choice of cutting or transitioning. So it's doing just a hard cut feels better because it's like now we're in it it's yeah i think i think a lot of people when they hear they first read stuff like this in a book they think that it's 
they don't fully trust it. It's like, oh yeah, the fact that it's cutting communicates something like, yeah, right. Like th this is, I've watched a million movies and it's not communicating anything to me, but like once you, once you actually start doing it yourself, you're like, oh yeah, no, now I know what that means. Like this really, there is a very real difference between these choices. I really noticed it. I watched for the first time ever, No Country for Old Men the other day. Don't know how it took me so long to watch, but I, I, I liked it even more than I thought. It was so hyped. Everybody said it was so good that I didn't expect to like it as much as I did, but I really liked it. But I noted there was, it's, there's no music in it. There's no, like there's sort of some exceptional filmmaking things happening. And I noticed when all of a sudden in the middle of it, there'd be a few crossfades and one fade to black and everything else is hard cuts. There's, there's nothing transitioning scenes at all. Everything's very, very direct. But so once there's a crossfade, you're like, whoa, like that, stands out in this otherwise very subtle movie and you have to realize like that meant a transition of time or so, or, or whatever it happened to in the context i think pretty much all of them i think the crossfades were all shorter transitions of time and there was a fade to black that was longer um but it really you can't miss that this is significant when so much of the other editing junk is kind of stripped away to a very simple film like that so yeah that really stood yeah out the it, it's something i've told nico before is uh, uh contrast creates value and you can apply that to literally everything um when you're not when you're aggressively in like vlogs right if you're aggressively cutting constantly constantly you're cutting dead air everything is just moving 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 you got sound cues everything's just happening and you're really in it the moment you drop the music and don't cut it, it, there's value to it because you've given the opposite the entire time if you have been doing jump cuts to different locations and the moment you start doing a transition a star wipe a crossfade whatever you want to do it's going to have a emotional impact because it's contrast you have i oh this is new just like your experience when it was the crossfade and the fade to black this hasn't been shown to me yet so this must mean something the this, there's an intention behind it yeah i mean i, I um, grew up in the 90s yeah. so quiet loud music i i definitely appreciate the contrasts of I mean, like that way, I, I actually still remember that being young and like hearing Nirvana for the first time and that, that feeling of like, it's so quiet and it's so loud really was like blowing my mind. It was so impactful. And now we got used to it. We do it a little less now. Like things have changed. I don't know. We're kind of take for granted, but th th they were taking that simple concept of contrast so far in the nineties and it really, I don't know, like thinking back to it was, was pretty cool at the time. But um, I feel like uh, we, we solved a lot of people's problems today. Except for one. We didn't decide what camera you're going to buy. I don't know. They're both like $4,000. <laughs> uh, but on top of that, it's like I don't have any full-frame lenses. So I, on top of that, so right, I have to drop another investment. thousand. Totally. And to do 4K 120 all the time... Uh, the media cards, right? Yeah, I know. Uh, yeah, you gotta spend the money. Thank, on. And I, I know Atomus just announced that they're doing a 4K 120 monitor uh, recorder, which is great. It's another fifteen, seventeen hundred dollars, uh, and for another eight hundred dollars, I can toss 
an eight terabyte SSD on the back and just rock it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but man, do I want to shoot 4K 120 in the in pitch black midnight out in the woods and still see something? <laughs> that just seems insane. Like, yeah, where, where I am starting to forget what some of the Sony's can do because I've been shooting Sony lately. But that ISO stuff is amazing and actually would very much come in handy for the 120 because. Yeah, I mean, I'm sort of used to shooting 50 all the time, and I don't crank my ISO. I try not to go really above 1600 because I like, I just like it to be clean. Um, especially because mm-hmm. I also shoot also log, n- which there's need I don't video. know if you do, but there's need that video. Is so much time though. I just, I just don't have time to it, to, to run in the, in Resolve. Movement. It is a dream come true. It's right. click sample done. <laughs> yeah well so using um, the internal no- uh, resolve noise direction or using neat I, I, video in i'm using resolve. neat neat video right now i in haven't resolve, played okay. with yeah. the uh built-in i don't shoot yeah. log because yeah. i'm shooting so, 8-bit yeah that's also an advantage for you is you're you're not shooting log 8-bit the files get smaller you also you don't need to grade it you also don't need to worry about noise as much like any of the if you shoot with an in- built-in full contrast profile it's just not as noisy because the noise removal is more effective on the camera sensor. Well, I but... shoot uh, HLG mode on the Sony. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think and you get the same set effect. It, rather though, than right? sending it to a 2020 image, I have it f- sent to a 709. So what that ends up looking like for those trying to keep up with that chunk of math is it looks like the standard profile, but I just got one to two more stops in the highlights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how I and was shooting my so nice. A seven three until I until I ditched it. But I part of why I ditched it is I just found the colors hard to work with in HLG. Like it, the the basic image comes out like pretty good, but when you really want to refine it, there's always like there's always just weird saturation things happening that I couldn't f- solve. I couldn't like figure it out. Um, so I've liked going back to a place where I'm just using like a default log profile. And I, then I know how to push that. I'm interested in using the, uh, <clears throat> the v- yeah, this, the new Cine style of Sony. If I jump up, uh, especially because it's their cinema line uh, log stuff, it is, the skin tone is so nice. Uh, that's just what it bombs, falls down to, is the skin tone is so nice. Um, I mean, color correction for me, it's not a big deal. I have, I take a LUT that compresses blues and oranges a little bit, and I usually drop it down to 50-ish percent, and then I just make sure it's consistent across the scenes. That's what I do, and it works. That's what matters most. <laughs> well, if, if if anybody wants to find out what camera car Michael gets, you should uh, at least be following him on Twitter. If not, following him on YouTube for his much bigger endeavors with Fables of Refuge. But it was super nice to get to really meet you for, for real. Thanks for coming on. Oh, yeah, man. It, once you can come down to the U.S. or I can come up to Canada, we can uh, Count I'll, the days. I'll play some D&D with you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Show me the ropes. I'd love that. Yeah. See if you can cool. kill a dragon. <laughs> we'll kill one together. 